Um, yeah, as uh, Tom said, we are in the beginning of this, this beautiful new series, We Are the Church, and with these four metaphors. And I'm really, really, really glad that we start with the metaphor of the bride, that the church is the bride of Christ. And the reason why I'm so glad that we start there um, is that I really believe that you cannot get the wonder of what it means to be the family of, of Christ, and you cannot get the wonder of what it means to be the body of Christ, and you can't experience the wonder of what it means to be the temple of Christ until you experience the absolute wonder of being the bride of Christ. And when you think about a bride, and when you think about a bride and a bridegroom, when you think about a wedding, when you think about marriage, surely there are some words that would come to mind. And surely those words would include words like love, you'd hope, um, relationship, intimacy, those kinds of words. And the thing is that until you know, and I just want to say to every single one of you individually, until you know, until you really do know in an experiential way what it actually is to be chosen, known, and fully loved so that you are covenanted to forever until you know what that is. This is by Jesus to you. I'm telling you now, you don't know what it means to be a Christian. You don't know what it means to be part of the church. And in actual fact, until you do know that for yourself, I would say that you are at high risk of merely being a toxic attender of a thing we call church. I think that I think that one of or the most undiagnosed sickness in the world today is homesickness. I think that there's something in the human soul that wants to go home. And I think there's a longing that is really, really deep. It's the most undiagnosed sickness of humanity. It's homesickness. I think that the deepest longing in the human soul is to be chosen and known, really known, and then in that knownness to be loved. I think that's the deepest longing. I think that the greatest fear possibly of the human soul is to be known and not loved. Many of us, most of us, all of us know that feeling. That is a, that is a deep fear. And I believe that the greatest need for every single human being is the need for spiritual life. This, this thing that is called eternal life, that's our greatest need. But the greatest problem, the greatest hurdle is the hurdle of sin. 
And you see, every single one of us has a great need, and it's a need for spiritual life, but we have a great problem, and it's called sin. And that problem is a hurdle that none of us are quite able to get over. None of us are. And I want to tell you tonight that this teaching you're going to hear tonight, the theology of the bride of Christ and Christ is the bridegroom, this answers, this is the gospel, and this answers the, the undiagnosed sickness of the soul, the deepest longing of the soul, the greatest fear of the soul, the greatest need of the soul, and the biggest problem or hurdle that we face. You'll find the answers in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And, and as I was worshipping here tonight, the Lord just whispered something to me to share with you. And right now, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would just move right now and put your finger where you need to put your finger. Spirit of the living God, would you do what only you can do right now in this place as you minister? Tonight, the Lord, I believe, whispered into my heart and, and with, the, with the thought that there are those of us who are here tonight who's, who have a question mark over their identity, their who, their, their deepest sense of who, who you are, and you have a real question mark over that, and that's causing you some pain. And I want to pray right now that the Holy Spirit of God, God's Spirit, would do a miracle inside of you to fix that for you tonight as you learn who you are, as he reveals to you spiritually who you are. So let me just pray for you now, and for those of you who are followers of Jesus, why don't you pray along? Holy Spirit, right now we ask that you would move in power tonight. As you reveal your truth, Lord, would you do um, a spiritual revelation in us that this would be so much more than knowledge, but that this would be transformative truth. Father, I pray for those who have a question mark and a pain around the who they are. Lord, I pray you'd meet them tonight. In the name of Jesus Christ, you'd set them free. You'd bring them into life in all of its fullness. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So what we're going to do tonight, folks, is we're going to look at the theology of the bride of Christ, and we're going to look at that in two different ways. I'll just have a wee drink because I've got a dry mouth. <laughs> You don't mind me drinking out of your bottle, do you, Tom? No, just kidding, it's my bottle. <laughs> we've got DNA connection, surely it's all right. Now, okay, we're going to do it in two ways. First of all, we're going to look at a piece of Scripture, a piece of the Bible. We're going to go in the New Testament into Ephesians 5, so get your Bibles. By the way, if you don't bring a Bible, bring a Bible. Hobby horse of Sarah's. Um, but bring a Bible. You can use a device, that's okay. I just think these are better. These are holier. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're going to go to Ephesians 5, and we're going to look at what Paul, the teacher to the early church, what he says um, about this relationship we have with Jesus as the bride of Christ. And then after that, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of switch over, and we're going to look at the Jewish culture, the culture of, of Jesus and the culture of, of Paul as he wrote this, and we're going to look even more deeply into what um, the lessons are as we look at how did, how did they do marriage and what were some of their patterns, okay? You ready for the ride? Yeah. All righty, and my prayer is that out of that, we just go nuts with worship. 
Okay, Ephesians 5, let's read together um, 25 to 32. Now, this is actually, by the way, this is actually written to husbands and wives, you know, human husbands and human wives, <laughs> um, not Jesus as in. Um, and, I mean, he was human. He, oh, dear, now I'm getting off on a tangent. But this was written to kind of like earthly marriages. We're going to skip that, but you can, if, if you're interested in that, soak up the lessons as we go. They're in there, okay? But we're focusing in on the metaphor. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. And we'll stop right there. Right here at the beginning, in verse 25, it says, Christ loved the church. And that word loved in the original language is the word agape. It comes from this idea that it is a self-sacrificing love. It's not all about emotion. It's not gushy-gushy. What it is, is it's, it's, it's the kind of love that says, I give up me for you. It's other-focused. It's, it's described as the kind of love that does everything for the other person's highest good. Highest good. Everything for them. And Christ gave up himself for the church. This is sacrificial love. Do you know what? I, I have a really hard time. I find it difficult. I struggle to give Nick an equal share of the chocolate. Not to give him more. I, I don't even go there. Just to give him an equal share of the chocolate. I find it really, really hard. I find it so hard that last year during lockdown, I made a pact with myself. You know how we were all making weird pacts during lockdown and making all these little decisions about the rest of our lives, right? And then from this day forward, you know. Well, I made one, and it was that I would give Nick an equal share of the chocolate every time. I was writing a sermon this week, and I remembered that pact. <laughs> While I was eating his chocolate. I just, I find it really hard to give myself up for him. I like him and everything, but I find it really, by the way, Nick is my husband's name, by the way. I'm talking about my husband. But I find it really, Jesus is different from me. Hallelujah. And so it says here that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He just gave, what that means is he died for her. He died for us. Why? He gave himself up for her to make her holy. The purpose of Jesus' death was to make us holy, sinless. In other words, what Jesus did by dying on the cross for us was that he jumped that hurdle of sin that we couldn't jump. He did it for us and gave life 
eternal life to our spirits. Hebrews 10 verse 10 says, And by God's will we've been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. He gave himself up for her, in verse 26, to make her holy. How did he do that? Cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. That, that word, through the word, that word, word, in the original language is the word rima. It's the spoken word. It's the gospel. It's the good news. It's the very thing I'm telling you right now. And what this says here is that we are washed by this good news. In other words, did you know that your sins are washed away? You stand there full of sin and Jesus comes along through his death and he washes you. He washes away your sin. That's not just nice words, that's the truth. Washed it away. Gone. And you stand there pure and you stand there clean before him through the word. How does that happen? Romans 10, 17 says, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word, the rema about Christ. You see, when you hear about Jesus Christ as you are hearing tonight and you respond to what you've heard by putting your faith in what you've heard, putting your faith in Jesus Christ, then you are born again. You are washed with the water of that word. You become part of the church. You become part of the bride of Jesus Christ. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Verse 27, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. I've been around a lot of brides in my time. And they spend a long time getting ready on their wedding day. And they spend hours and they book their hairdresser in and they book their makeup artist in and they, they have hours, hours, and the groom's playing golf. <laughs> and they have hours and hours and the curls are just so and the, everything is just done to perfection so that... This bride is doing that because she knows that she is going to walk down that aisle, right? And she's going to see him and she's going to meet him and she's doing everything she can to get herself just so. It's a disproportionate amount of time compared to the result you get. But <laughs> no, they're very beautiful. <laughs> very beautiful. And foundation, praise God, for makeup. Really, you know, it covers a multitude of sins. It really does. It's fantastic. But, you know, that's what brides do. But guess what? The contrast is when it's us and Jesus, the groom makes her perfect. And when she comes and she's before him and she's there radiant, or in other translations it says in, all, in splendor, she's there not in all her glory but in all his glory. And, and the goal is that he would present her to himself. 
You see, that it would be so stupid to have the bride over there and the groom over there and her looking all beautiful and, and him looking all dashing, but they're miles apart. That would be ridiculous. The very goal is Jesus wants relationship with us. He wants his bride. He wants to be together with us. And Colossians 1.22 says, But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. That's how we stand before our Saviour. Not a cover-up job with good makeup, but made completely blameless. Not a wrinkle, not a spot, not a blemish, nothing. Just beautiful and perfect before him. And it was this way in the beginning. Way, way back in the beginning, God formed the very first man, and his name was Adam. And then God took that man and he put him to sleep. And while he slept, God cut open his side. And God reached into that open wound of his side, and God took a rib out of Adam. And from that rib, God fashioned a woman. And then he woke Adam up and he brought Eve to Adam. And Adam said, wow. And then Jesus says in Matthew 19, he says that God joined them together. And they became one. And so Paul, who's writing the, what we've just read in Ephesians, when he's talking about this, he then quotes from Genesis 2, the story of Adam and Eve, and he says, and that's why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. In other words, right from the very first man and the first woman whom God joined together, that has been the pattern. And Jesus followed the pattern. Jesus left his father, and he came and was joined. He became one with us. You see, here's what happened. Jesus was hanging on the cross for our sin, paying for our sin, dying, giving up his life for us to make us holy. And he died. And just after he died, he's still hanging there on that cross. And while he, if you like, slept in death, a Roman soldier took a spear and he pierced Jesus' side. He cut it open and as he did so, out gushed, out flowed a whole bunch of, of blood and water. And like the first Adam, from this man Jesus, whom the Bible calls the second Adam, a bride was born from a wounded side. The bride was born in pain and sacrifice and the giving up of himself. And then God resurrected Jesus back to life and he joined him together with his bride and they became one flesh. We are his body. We are his bride. And this mystery is profound. You see, 
so profound. We who were once so distant from God, we who were once living for ourselves, who were, who were looking everywhere to find ourselves, we who were determined to determine our own definition of right and wrong, of good and evil, we who were once opposed to the idea that God might be the one who determines right and wrong, good and evil, we who were opposed to the idea of God being in charge of us. We who, we who were dismissive of the idea that we needed saving from our sin. We have become one with Christ. Bone of his bones, flesh of his flesh. And from this day forward... He nourishes, he feeds. You'll find that there in the chapter we just were reading. He cares for, he cherishes us from this day forward. Does that make you feel like worshipping? Let's go richer still. Let's have a deep dive into the cultural context in which this was written, okay? The people would have understood this. And Jesus, of course, was from this culture, the Jewish culture. Let me walk you through it. It was common in um, ancient Israel for the father of the groom to select a bride for his son. Aren't you glad that doesn't happen now? And the father could also delegate a matchmaker and send a matchmaker out to find a wife for his son. And you see that in Genesis 24 when Abraham sends a matchmaker out to, to find a wife for Isaac. And then once the bride was selected, she had to agree, she had to say yes to marrying this man. And once that had happened, then the what's called the kituba or the marriage contract would be presented. And in this, the groom promises to support his wife and the bride declares the contents of her dowry. She reveals to him the full nature of her financial status, all that she has. And then the bridal price would be paid by the groom to the bride's family. And the bridal price was what set the bride free from reliance on her family and ownership by her parents' household. And so now she was no longer part of that, no longer owned. And then a very interesting thing would happen, and it was called the mikvah. And it's very beautiful. It was a ritual where both the bride and the groom would separately be plunged into water, immersed into water. And this had to happen before the two entered into the formal betrothal period or engagement period. And it was a picture of spiritual cleansing. It was like they both individually took a bath. And the message of that was this, no matter what has gone on before, I now come to you pure and clean. Isn't that pretty? Isn't that beautiful? And then after the two individuals had, had undergone mikvah, then there would be a public betrothal ceremony held under a beautiful open canopy. 
And there they would stand and they would express their intention of becoming betrothed, engaged. And they made vows and they exchanged rings and they shared a cup of wine. And after the ceremony, then the couple was considered to be betrothed. And now they would enter into the betrothal period. And this literally means sanctification or set apart, holy. It was a holy time. It was a a period of time totally set apart, totally devoted to preparing for the marriage. And it would be approximately a year between that ceremony, that betrothal, betrothal ceremony, and the actual marriage. And they had to continue to live separately. They didn't have sex until after the actual wedding. And once they had entered into this betrothal period, they actually needed a legal divorce in order to break the engagements. It's much, much stronger than what we would call engagement now. Because, you see, the contract had already been agreed on. But the interesting thing was only the husband could break the agreement. The wife couldn't. And then just before the bride and groom would go their separate ways, the groom would give the bride a bridal gift. And this was the pledge of his love for her. And the purpose of it was that it was to be a reminder to be with her, to be a reminder to her of his love for her. And, and, and during these days of separation, it would remind her, he's thinking of me. And the big message was, and he is coming back. He's going to come back for me. And then the groom would return home and he would spend this year preparing a new home for his wife and him to live in. And oftentimes this was done by adding rooms on to his father's house, his parents' house. And there was this really great rule. I think this is a really cool rule. The rule was that the house that he prepared, the place that he prepared for the bride, had to be better than anywhere else she'd ever lived. Isn't that nice? And, and the other thing that I just love, it, it wasn't the groom who would decide when the house for the bride was finished, when it was complete, and when he could go and, and claim his bride. It wasn't him who, who decided that. Do you know who it was? Yeah, it was the father. It was the father who, who would tell him, now's the time, son, go get her. And what did the bride do during this long period of separation? Well, she had to sew her wedding garments and and all the things that she would wear and and all the things that would be part of her future life. And she had to prepare for the wedding day and she had to wait with her wedding party in anticipation, ready at any moment for him to arrive because he could come at any moment. And when the day finally arrived... What would happen would be this, the groom, the groom would surprise the bride, but she'd be ready, but she'd be surprised, ready and surprised, ready and surprised. How does that work? Ready and surprised. 
But here's how it would happen. One of the groomsmen, along with all the other um, groomsmen, all the wedding party for the groom, they would all come in procession to the bride's house. And one of the groomsmen would lead the procession to the bride's house. And as he leads the procession, he shouts out, he shouts, look, the bridegroom's coming. Look, the bridegroom's coming. And then then all the others, they would have these shofars, these, these trumpets, Jewish trumpets, and they would blow the trumpets. So there'd be this racket going on down the streets as they make their way to the bride's house. And then they'd get to the bride's house and, and she would be surprised and, and he would go in there and, and the groom would literally pick the bride up and he would whisk her away to the wedding. And there they would come to the wedding and again they'd be under a canopy which would be set up and, and the two of them would stand there under the canopy and they would say a blessing and they would drink a cup of wine and they would formalise their promises to each other and then the party would begin. Seven days of party. Seven days of the marriage supper, it was called. Seven days of food and music and dance and celebration. And then finally, the groom would bring the bride home to the home that that he had prepared, their new home. And then they would live together as husband and wife. Doesn't that just fill your soul? Just in case you didn't make all the connections to what's going on with us, Let me take you through it. The Father, God, first of all, selects us as the bride for his Son. The matchmaker, the Holy Spirit, is sent out by the Father and he begins to draw our hearts towards Jesus, to say yes to Jesus. And we're given the option to accept this offer or refuse. And if we accept, then we enter into a covenant that that cannot be broken, a promise, a contract. And the groom, Jesus, he promises to love and care for us and to lay down, to give up his life for us. And we agree to bring all that we are, all that we have, our dowry to him. We hold nothing back. And Jesus pays the bridal price. He pays what is required to have us, to set us free from all that has had us in the past. And so Colossians 6, 19 to 20 says this, You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Someone just needs to hear right now, that Jesus has paid the price to set you free from all that has owned you, from all that has held you and had you in the past. Complete price paid. 1 Peter 1, 18 to 19 says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And then the mikvah, the the water, the the washing, it's incredible to think that Jesus was baptised. Have you read the story? 
Jesus was baptized, perfect Jesus. He fulfilled even this beautiful picture. He said he was baptized to fulfill all righteousness. And we are baptized too. We are washed with water through the word. Our sin is washed away forever. And we come to him unblemished and beautifully perfect. And at the very moment when we give our lives to Jesus, at the very moment when we say effectively to Jesus, forsaking all others, I give myself to you. At that very moment, you are born again. At that very moment, you enter into the betrothal period. That's your commitment to Christ. A covenant is entered. The contract has been signed and you're waiting for the groom to come back. And Jesus has given us his bridal gift. He's given us the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 1, 13 to 14, it says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, Rima. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, stamp, a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who was a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit is the gift that we've been given. He is the promise of Jesus's love, of Jesus's commitment. He is the promise that Jesus will come back for you, for us, for his bride. And now Jesus is preparing a home. He said to the disciples, don't let your hearts be troubled. This is John 14, 1 to 3. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. And we, the bride, what are we doing during this time? We're getting ready. We're waiting. We're, we're expecting. We're ready to be surprised. We're getting ready. Do you know that in Revelation 19 verse 8, it tells us that our righteous deeds are our beautiful wedding clothes? Everything we do, if we do it for Jesus, becomes part of what we take with us, these beautiful wedding clothes. And Jesus, right now, is waiting for the Father to give the word that now is the time. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I encourage you to go read it, it's just cool. It tells us that as Jesus comes back for us, as he's promised he will, as Jesus comes back for us, there is going to be a shout from the archangel, just like the procession. And there is going to be the sound of a trumpet blasting. And Jesus is going to come and carry the bride away. And we're going to stand with him under a canopy. His banner over us is love. And we are going to be forever with him. 
And there's the, the, the marriage supper of the lamb, the feast, the party, the home, the forever home, the home our human hearts have always longed for. And we will know forever that we have been chosen and we have been known and, and known we have been loved. And it answers it all. At the very, very end of the Bible, there's a verse. It says this, the Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit, and the bride say, come. Come, Lord Jesus. And let the one who hears say, come. Come, Lord Jesus. We're the bride. We say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Some of you are thirsty for what we've just talked about tonight. Some of you are thirsty to be chosen, to be known, to be loved like this. To know such security, to know such an eternal home, some of you are thirsty for that. And, and as part of the bride of Christ, I just want to say to you, come. The Holy Spirit, the matchmaker, is right now saying, come. 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 Come and, come and receive. Come and become part of this. Come and be chosen, known and loved. If you want to, then right now, we're going to worship because those of us who have already come to Jesus, those of us who already know what it is to be the bride, we just want to worship him right now, don't we, Tom? Yeah. We just want to worship him because we want to give all that we've just heard and we just want to give it back up to him. But as we do that, I just want to say to you right now, just before you stand up, would you just shut your eyes? And if you can sense that now is the moment where you want to give your life to Jesus. Where you want to say to Jesus, forsaking all others, I come to you. I know I'm a sinner. I know the hurdle of sin. I get it. I know. In faith, I believe that Jesus, you've jumped that hurdle for me. Right now, I want to agree with you what is right, what is wrong. I want to agree with you that I need you. Right now, I come to you. I give my life to you. I receive you as my saviour. I receive you as my, my groom, my spiritual groom. Right now I give my life to you. I receive eternal life from you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. If that's the cry of your heart, then I want to tell you, God has heard your cry. God never turns away someone who says yes to Jesus. And as we stand, you're going to stand up right now if you like, and we're going to sing. But, but yeah, if you have tonight said yes to Jesus, then before you go home tonight, would you, if you've got someone here with you, get them to come with you. Come on up and meet me or Tom or Anna or Melissa, uh, someone, someone who's going to hang around the stage here and just tell us that you've given your life to Jesus. And if you're here on your own, 
Just get the courage to come up on your own and we'd love to meet you. But let's just pour out our love and our worship now to, to the Lord.